people welcome back to the final episode of season two starting off or not starting off or finishing off with a massive guest this has been such a whirlwind i still think i'm starting off season three i'm joined by one of the best guests i've got on he's actually a good friend of mine i've known him for a couple of years now through different work events this is glasgow warrior former air shower the current scotland cap number one one three four the great ollie smith how are you my man you all right yeah i'm good thanks that was quite a decent intro actually <laughs> Yeah, I've had it written down for about four days. Ever since the first thing you do, people do when they say they'll oh, come on, I just write the intro. That's no, it, and I just have a piece of paper there. But no, no. so how are you? Like that's the most important question I ask you today. Is how are you? So yeah, good actually. Um, just enjoying my time off after getting back uh, from Argentina. <laughs> so yeah, been pretty lazy and stuff, which which is quite nice. Because so. you caught up on the sleep yet? You back on a back on a first yeah. time zone? Maybe three or four days to get back used to it. But um, yeah, I'm I'm there now. Not as groggy as I was before. <laughs> okay, man, I'm glad to hear it. So, as usual, we're going to get started with the quick fire questions. Nice way to break us into the pods. Easy as you like. It's literally, we'll just get you started off with the one as a good example. Tea or coffee, what you, what's your go-to? Coffee, definitely. Quite right. You get all the boys hooked you up with all their various brands yet. Now uh, you're in nah, the Scotland group. Seems to be, uh, seems to just be like, goes hand in hand with rugby every day off. You seem to go for a coffee or something. And even in training, <laughs> you'll have coffees two or three coffees a day so uh, it's amazing like if I, if I was a coffee company i'd be all right on the boys because every everybody seems to be drinks the coffee yeah i know there's some serious serious coffee noises in the in the team that like proper <laughs> art and all that which is it's actually really impressive i wish i could do it but i can't do it there's no chance I'm doing it. just just drink them that's the best part yeah, you just totally let other people make them and you drink them as long as it tastes nice i don't care how it looks to be honest <laughs> sometimes the best ones don't even look apart yeah exactly right night out or a night in I'd say night out. I probably used to be night in, but now I'm probably night out. After COVID <laughs> and stuff, you've had too many nights in. So. Uh, three three years of Netflix, you're ready yeah. for a night out. Yeah. Right, this is quite a good one for a fullback, actually. Score a try or make a try save and tackle? Uh, I'd probably say score a try. Because um, they can sometimes be try saving tackles kind of go under the radar. But it is pretty <laughs> cool if you make one. Um, I've luckily not had to make very many. So, but yeah, I'd say score try is probably better. More products, you know. <laughs> get your face on the big screen. Exactly. Get yeah. all the Twitter gifts of the try celebration going. Yeah, I know. Those were rubbish try celebrations. <laughs> right. If you had to get rid of one tomorrow to wipe off the face of the earth, would you sooner get rid of rugby or dogs? Oh, uh, rugby, probably. I know. Yeah, I know. I'm a massive dog fan. I can't say dogs. I, I don't trust I, I don't trust people that say rugby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm a serious dog lover, so I'd have to say rugby. Yeah. Well, well, I feel like you'd be good at many sports, Ollie. I think you'd be all right. <laughs> like, if you're watching Netflix, would you choose a movie or a TV series? Uh, I'd, I'd probably say movie more recently. Um, my attention span seems to be getting worse, so like keeping up watching TV series is just not really my bag anymore. I, I'm, I'm too. I really want to watch Breaking Bad, but I don't have the the patience to like catch up on however many seasons there are. But I was gonna say all thirteen seasons. Yeah, I know it's ridiculous, but I've heard it's amazing. So, but I'd, yeah, I'd go with movies. Yeah, I just blame TikTok. Anything that's longer than thirty seconds now, I can't yeah, hack it. Yeah. If there's like a minute long TikTok, I'm like, oh, next. I can't watch. <laughs> it's bad. Man. 
You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. Right, are you more likely to go for a game of sevens or a game of fifteens? Uh sevens. I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say sevens, but I love playing sevens. I love playing sevens <laughs> as a kid. Um and I played a bit of sevens when I left school actually. I was in dead preseason with the sevens boys. Um and yeah, I absolutely love it, but I think legally I probably should say fifteen. Legally fifteen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Under the table, I'm a massive sevens fan. Yeah. I'm a the sevens coaches probably like perk their ears up now. You'll find yourself in a plane to Hong Kong next year. I wouldn't say no to be fair. Absolutely. <laughs> when you've when you've got that journeyman rank and you're like, I can start requesting what I want to do, be like, send me yeah. off on the sevens tour. I could just be one of those guys that um comes to play like Sonny Bill Williams used to do just play sevens for the Olympics or for the Commonwealth Games. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just for a day out that's all we want that. yeah 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 but I <laughs> just to take off, get one of those scratch off maps just so you can tick it off just join the sevens team yeah we'd be cool to play the olympics anyway so <laughs> so if you uh, mate olympics would be class just for the i'd just get the tattoo just to show yeah. i've done it and yeah. i have like a really prominent spot like forehead or forearm <laughs> yeah yeah somewhere that everyone can see all the time yeah, yeah. just that thing you know just like stretch and be like, oh that didn't, didn't even realize it was showing <laughs> Right, if you're on a night out, are you more likely to go for a club or like a pub with live music kind of guy? Pub with live music, probably. We go, uh, we, if we're in, in Glasgow, we tend to go to Kitty O'Shea's a lot because it's a good balance between like bar right. and a club because they've got the live music on all night. Because um, uh, I'm only, I'm still only 21, but clubs are getting too too tedious for me now. I'm getting too <laughs> old. I can't yeah, really go to clubs anymore. Wait, wait till you hit 26, it uh, hits you like a brick wall. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. managed to well, I've managed to avoid terrible hangovers for most of the part, most of the time. But um, we'll see. Mate, what's what's your secret? That, that's going to be the next talking point after we finish the quick fires. <laughs> <laughs> How to avoid a nasty hangover? Right, are socks and sliders acceptable footwear? Yes or no? Hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Quite right. Quite right. Quite yeah. right. <laughs> uh, sweet or salted popcorn? Sweet. Definitely. Good. Definitely don't, don't don't trust people that say salt. It's just never nah, have. It's weird. I I, I don't get it. <laughs> right. Following on from the cup of coffee question, is it acceptable to drink a cold cup of coffee that you've left and forgot about? No. Nah. No. Nah? nah. Cold cold coffee's weird. I'm not really sure how I feel about ice lattes yet either. I've had a couple. <laughs> I was down in London with my sister at the weekend, and she made me one when I was down, and it just feels a bit weird. Not a fan. Nah. It has to be quite hot, not too hot. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Can't, can't, especially like even it's not even an iced coffee. Like if it's a coffee you've just forgot about, just make a fresh one. Yeah. No. There we go. That's the quick fire question sorted. There, easy as that. So now we go on to the ones that require a bit more thinking. So your memorabilia. What is your favourite bit of memorabilia you've managed to accumulate so far in your young career? Uh, so I've got a couple pieces here. I've obviously got I've got my first cat. From yeah. last week, obviously. Which is oh, he's got cool. it. He's got it ready to show as well. I yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really know what I'm going to do with it to be honest. It's just been sat in my chest of drawers. I might try and. Um, my dad's actually one of his mates. He grew up with framed shirts and stuff, so he framed oh, my, nice. my first Glasgow shirt. So I think I'm going to try and get it framed with the cap underneath it. Um, but I've I've got this as well. I'm, I don't know how really I came across it. We were playing my second year under twenties when we played right. Italy in in italy um you know the little like the basically these things these like oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> i don't know how i managed to come across it because i wasn't the captain 
I think I'm, <laughs> I've nicked it from Dodge or something. Um, but this is, I find this pretty cool. It just like hangs above my mirror in my room. Uh, but it's just quite cool because that was like, a, that was a pretty good time. That's probably, they say it's like your most enjoyable rugby is playing under 20s because you're with all your mates. Um, and we obviously won that night in Italy. Uh, and we had a pretty awesome team and then a good, obviously, night in Italy before we came back home. Probably all got COVID, but. Um, <laughs> you guys were patient zero. <laughs> yeah, literally. I remember we left, we landed back the day after the game. And the news story came out that four. There was four cases in Parma, which is where we were staying. Yeah. And then we all were suspiciously ill or like had colds towards the end. <laughs> of the um, but it wasn't really that big then. So I was going to say, that would have been like February time, wouldn't it? Just because like March is when it kicked off. So. Yeah, it was. It was peak. Like <laughs> I remember something about like when we got back, anyone who'd been north of Milan. Uh, should isolate or shouldn't or should get tested or something and we where we were staying in Parma was two hours north of Milan so we were right yeah, in there, right in the hot spot yeah it was just kind of oh just crack on with training you'll be absolutely fine don't you? <laughs> we're all hanging out with each other anyway so if one yeah, of us has got that, it we've all got it yeah we'll just play <laughs> on it really that. they're pretty that's those are two pretty cool bits of memorabilia though there's not many things that top first cap which is by the time recording what's that two weeks old that cap at most yeah. A week, a week, and, a week a and a half. Yeah. A week and a day, yeah. It was last Saturday, yeah. God, time flies. Well, last yeah. week's been a bundle. Yeah, so obviously we've known each other a few, two things, so I felt quite proud watching you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was pretty cool. I, I mean, it's obviously, it sounds cliche to say, like, uh, a boyhood dream or whatever, but I can remember, like, going to games since I was, like, seven or eight years old um, and always wanted to play for Scotland. Obviously not at Murrayfield, which is not ideal, but, I mean, you can't turn... Turn your nose up at a debut, especially in a test decider and in an unreal stadium. That stadium was mental. Thirty thousand massive mental Argentinian fans in there as well, and obviously they're so passionate as a country. Um, like obviously them scoring in the last play is not ideal for us, but the the noise when they went over was like deafening. Um, which is just it's it's mental to be a part of. It's proper test matches. You wouldn't get that playing um, playing club rugby. So no. I mean, I was going to save it for the end of the podcast and make the viewers wait for it, but um, I want to talk about it. I've been wanting to talk about it ever since you came on. So we're going to go straight into the tour and the debut. So I want to go right back. How did it feel just even announced that you were coming on the tour? Like when you saw the, the squad list for it and you obviously got phone calls and things? Um, it was pretty weird. I mean, the whole build-up, I mean, when that, you're playing, sort of, I was playing regularly for Glasgow time um, towards the end of the season. And uh, I knew that some boys had heard sort of before before me, like there was obviously chat from guys who knew they were going, yeah. chat, guys who had told that they were getting a rest or whatever, but I'd heard nothing. And it started to get quite close to the day and um, that where boys were finding out. And some guys found out the week before and they were all saying, oh, have you heard yet? And I was like, nah, not heard anything. Um, so I wasn't worried. That must have, that must have been brutal. I was still stay, yeah, I was still trying to stay optimistic. Um, but then I was, I think I was in the flat. I was just in the flat by myself, actually. And okay. I was about to get out um, for dinner, I think. And my phone just started buzzing. Um, <laughs> and it said Gregor Townsend. And then just spoke to him for like five, ten minutes. And he told me. And it was, I was a bit nervous because I knew that they'd been calling people and telling them they weren't going on the tour. So I was a bit oh. like, I was a bit nervous even when I picked the phone up and then, it was obviously just after that Leinster game. Um, <laughs> we started talking about like how badly that went and 
my <laughs> the game and stuff like that. So I was like, this is a real that must have been a fun conversation. Yeah. It was a real bad start to the conversation. I was like, oh god, it's just going to be what it's going to get worse. She's going to tell me I'm not going, and then he told me, and my I can't remember. My dad was at home. My mum and my sister were in Mallorca together, and oh, uh, so I FaceTimed them. And as soon as I FaceTimed them, they knew kind of what was coming, um, and they were obviously chuffed. Uh, and then called my dad afterwards, and he was absolutely buzzing as well. So, good. Did you did you share the wee tear with your dad when it was like? Uh, nah, I wouldn't have said so. Um, I probably would have if they were if they'd managed to stay out for the game. Aye. Um, I probably would have because it would have been pretty special. But um, I'm sure. I mean, there probably will be more. Hopefully, there'll be another occasion where I could play at Murrayfield, and they'll be there. I mean. If there's another one, no matter where it is, Dad's going to try and make it. Um, so that'll probably get quite emotional. But yeah. you're brave. See, see, as soon as my phone said Gregor Townsend, I'd have been crying anyway, even if it'd been good news. <laughs> yeah, I'd yeah, been like yeah. Gregor, just break it to me slowly. Whatever news it is, just give me a chance to get my breath. Yeah. I think I was just—it was more excitement really um, than anything. It's obviously been like quite a strange year for me, um, from not playing at all the start of the season to then like just kind of coming in pretty like mm-hmm. rapidly and then just the games just started ticking over so I was just kind of taking it as it comes I wasn't setting it I wasn't trying to like look too far in the, in the future in case like something happened because I mean things can change like that obviously they can go uh, one way and they can go the other so I was just trying to keep a bit level-headed <laughs> <laughs> mate you're, you're a more calm and collected man than I am I would have been the second because you am I, am I right think, I know you used to live with some of the boys do you still live with some of the boys that you play with uh funny enough I don't anymore. So I I'm still in the same flat I was. I'm I was living with okay. Rufus and Tom Lambert, but Tom's obviously moved back to Australia now. Um, yeah. and Rufus has just moved into the West End, so I'm by myself now. But I mean, I'm not far and I, I see the boys every day. So Oh right, I was, I was gonna say if you were, I thought you were still in with Rufus and that and obviously Rufus went with you to Argentina. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was gonna say if, if Rufus had been in a situation where he'd heard and you hadn't. Yeah, that must have been like quite an awkward flat for a couple of days if it had been still been the situation. Yeah, so he did hear. He heard maybe the Thursday, and I heard on the Tuesday afterwards or something. I can't remember the dates, but he he heard before me a few days before me. Um, All right. So there was that kind of like didn't really want to ask. And then <laughs> Murphy, uh, obviously, I was at school with Murphy, so I'm really close with him. Right. He'd heard as well a week before and hadn't told me. Um, <laughs> And then the day I heard, I text him saying like, oh, have you heard anything? And he, he was kind of a bit standoffish. He was up at home. And then he called me and was like, oh, so what have you heard then? And I told him and he said, oh, yeah, I've known for a couple of weeks that I'm going. And he was like, I just don't want to tell you because I didn't want to make it awkward in case you don't got told you weren't going. <laughs> Luckily, it was all right. But he, he did actually know before me. I was one of the last ones to hear it. Like, so. Uh, sometimes, sometimes makes it all the sweet. He's a good pal though. If he was just like, I'll, I'll hold off and just wait. Yeah, because I'd spoken to him. I'd asked him like, "Oh, have you heard anything?" And he was like, "Well, I don't know." And I'd heard from <laughs> other people that he was gonna go. Um, right. For a number of reasons, I'm not sure, but I hadn't brought it up to him in case because I didn't know that he'd known yet, so I didn't want to ruin the surprise for him, kind of thing. Um, so it was all just a breakdown of communication, but it worked itself. <laughs> But it all ended with a nice happy smile, so that's all that yeah, matters. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man, I was I was so buzzing for you. I really was when I saw it. It's, it's like you said, we there was there's always been the rumors that a few people were getting arrested and not yeah. everybody was going. And like you said, you'd managed to like you'd forced your way into the Glasgow team and you were a staple part of it toward the end of the season. 
yeah, even yeah. in situations where the Leinster game and things don't turn out. But yeah. and I think it was from the outside I was looking in when they said more more common names aren't going. I think you were one of the first names I ever thought. So this guy's like you were circled on the sort of group of players. Yeah, I think it was. I'd obviously heard that uh, Boggy was having a rest. Um, mm. <clears throat> so then you obviously start to weigh up who else is kind of in your position and stuff like that. And obviously guys like Damien, he's a really experienced player across like the back three. Mm-hmm. You still got guys like Rufus and Hutch can obviously play in the back three as well. So I was hoping that like, obviously the the odds were kind of going in my way with Hoggy not going. Um, but you still never know. Like, um, yeah. Still got to earn the shirt type thing. Yeah, exactly. They do like to keep it quite close to the chest. And like I said, I was just trying to stay quite level-headed before anything got announced really um and not kind of get ahead of myself because i don't want to set myself up for failure really. so <laughs> i just wait till the news confirmed and then you know. oh, it, even, see i would have made gregor phone me twice just to make sure it was because yeah, I've, yeah. I've got mates that are arseholes that would have put pranks on me so i'd yeah. have to like double check it and i just text them say like are you actually being serious or not you think <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely gregor question mark yeah yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So back into the tour, like once you, so you're on the plane. Well, even even that, how did it feel? Like you know, like when you do like the kit run and you get given all the stash. Yeah. Like yeah. is that when it finally starts to feel? Like did it not? Feel, did it feel real when you got to the plane, or did it feel when you got the kit, or did it feel real when you were? Like, oh, everybody around me is. I don't really know. I think. You, when you're in the camp, like. Yeah. You're kind of. You're like not meant to be there but you're obviously part of the squad and you're not treated any differently really you're mm-hmm. you're expected to be at the same kind of level as somebody who's been in the camps for like years um so it doesn't it feels quite normal there when you're around the hotel and we spent a few days in edinburgh training before we flew and then i think it was probably when we were in the airport in the kit and sort of traveling mm-hmm. together um and people are obviously starting to look at you and and figure out who you guys are and stuff like that um, and then it starts to sink in a little bit then even when we get to places like Chile and uh, Salta and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, people start coming asking you for photos and that's the weirdest thing because that never happens here in Glasgow like if it's very rare that you'd be recognised by anyone um, but you could literally just be walking out for a coffee and get stopped by sort of five or six people in the space of two minutes and just <laughs> you're almost like small town famous at that point um, and <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool and it's it's stuff that like you're not really used to so it kind of hits you there what's how how was your first reaction when somebody asked you for your photo were you kind of i'm always just under the impression that they don't actually know who i am um, <laughs> because they'll maybe know like especially in argentina um people would come up to you and ask for a photo and they'd maybe be like they'd ask you if you were scottish but they obviously okay. don't know and then you take a photo and then people would see you taking a photo with these people and they'd just come and ask for one. So they've got no idea really who you are. And it's like, oh, they're getting a photo, can we get one as well? Yeah. And you just kind of get in a cycle and you're just standing there the whole time thinking they've got no idea who I am. They just <laughs> know is, so I could be anyone. <laughs> I saw the thought of them being just like, I don't know who they think. I was like, oh my God, Chris Patterson or something. Yeah, yeah, literally they'd be like, because I remember they were asking, there was the second test, I think we went, we'd gone out for a coffee just before, uh-huh. obviously the boys were getting ready for the game, but me and Murphy weren't playing and we're walking down the street and this guy says like, oh, are you Scottish? And we're like, yeah, 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 gets the photo with us. And he's like, oh, um, wh- what position do you guys play? And we tell him and he's like, oh, are you not going to the game? Like, why are you not getting ready for the game? And we're like, oh, uh, yeah, we're leaving in a bit. Uh, just because it's just, 
such an awkward conversation to say yeah. like, oh, we're in the squad, but we're not playing. So they're like, yeah. oh, are you coaches? Or like, you just, you're just like, oh yeah, we're, we're leaving a bit. No. I remember, I can't remember, there was a guy, so similar to your story, I watched a podcast with a guy from the WWE, or watched, watched, I listened to a podcast with a guy from WWE, and people always used to ask him what he did. But then obviously they saw other people taking photos of him because like wrestling's quite a niche thing to like. It's not a yeah. global, it's a global sport, but it's not a common, it's not yeah, a Sky yeah, Sports yeah. main event type show. Yeah, exactly. And like somebody used to ask him what he does. So he was like, oh, I just work for wrestling. They'd be like, oh, you're a wrestler. He's like, no, I, I work on like the rig or like the lighting or something like that just to save the conversation for them. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't embarrass them by going, I know you don't know who I am. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, it, it kind of, there's a kind of bit of that. Um, and they'll maybe they'll maybe ask you like who you play for, and they're like, "Oh, is is that like um, you say like you play for Glasgow?" And they're like, "Oh, what like the uni or something?" And you're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, yeah, doesn't matter." Like <laughs> it just saves awkwardness because there's always that little bit if they're not like dead clued up. Because obviously, like rugby's getting bigger, but it's not like that big. It's definitely football, obviously football in Glasgow. So, so uh, I was gonna say there's there's two quite big teams in. Glasgow that take a lot of precedence. Exactly. Then, then you've got the mighty St Mirren as well in Paisley, but they don't seem to get the recognition they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the tour. So obviously you you had the main the game against Argentina was the talking point and obviously the highlight for you. Obviously yeah. you did have the game against Chile as well, which was class of Scotland A, but yeah, yeah. it was uh, as close. Yeah. It was as close as you can get to being an international without like calling it an international because you're playing a full strength Chile squad because they had qualifiers coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um and like Chile was such a cool place to visit as well. Obviously mm-hmm. with rugby you you travel to some places that you definitely wouldn't go if you didn't play kind of thing. Like I've been to Argentina twice now for rugby. Chile, mm-hmm. I've been into America and stuff like that. Um but it was such a cool place to visit. Uh and the people were so nice as well. They were just we went to an event before the game, maybe on the Wednesday or something, um, like the British embassy in, in Chile or something. Right. And then the Chile players were there as well. And obviously you're about to play a game against a team sort of two or three days later, but they're just like big fans of some of the boys in the squad and like guys like Hamish um, and Gilco, they're like getting swamped by players all the time, everywhere they go because people know them and they're mm-hmm. just massive fans and you're about to play against them. And even after we've beaten them, they're still like such a nice group of guys. Um, and they just thank you for playing like a good, like obviously a tier one nation coming to there doesn't happen. Isn't, I don't know if it's ever happened before. Um, yeah. So they're just like so grateful um, and it's pretty cool. And the atmosphere was awesome as well. Even, even when uh, we'd score a try, like it would still be, it'd still be a decent bit of atmosphere and any sort of break that they would make, the place would just absolutely erupt. That's class. How was like so? How did that game? Because obviously, like you said, like the South Amer- like the South American passion really comes through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, how does that feel? Because obviously, it must be quite intimidating. Because like anthems and stuff like that, they don't yeah. they don't do that stuff by half. Nah, nah, nah. And I mean, the stadiums we played the Chile game and then the first two tests that they were in were kind of like not old fashioned, but they were like rustic kind of stone yeah. stands, and it kind of lost its bit of atmosphere, but. The Argentinian national anthem um, is one that's like properly. Yeah, obviously, they belt it at the end, and they're they going mental. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the third test, when we were in that kind of more enclosed stadium, it's like mental how loud it was. Um, some of the boys were saying that like that's a proper test match atmosphere um, that you'd mm-hmm. experience. Like it, obviously, if you 
go to Murrayfield and listen to the Flower of Scotland, like it's it's pretty mental when the, the bagpipes go off and it's just the fans. Um so yeah, like you say, they they definitely don't do it by half, so they go absolutely mental. It's the same in Chile, it's the same wherever you go, probably in South America. Uh, yeah, I can yeah, I can imagine. I mean, even if you go to the night like the Latin themed nightclubs in Edinburgh, like yeah, yeah. you go go El Barrios or something, it's pretty pretty hectic in there. Yeah, so, I know. <laughs> Basically, we need to go on a night out in Argentina is the, the hint I'm getting at here. Yeah. So, uh, the day itself, we talked nicely, how did the day itself go for you? So, even from the very start, like, when you when you woke up that morning, did you wake up and just go, oh, I've got to play my first international cap today? It was a weird one. I've kind of spoken about to my parents and stuff, and yeah. it was like Friday night, um, just in the hotel, had dinner and stuff like that, really like laid back mm-hmm. and started to get more nervous just before I went to bed. Um, and I didn't, I f- feel like I had a decent sleep, maybe a bit broken, but got up and then at breakfast, I was like watching the England Australia game was on at breakfast. And mm-hmm. I remember just like really struggling to eat anything, like just feeling sick in the morning. Yeah. And then like just went back to bed, kind of was cutting about for a bit. And we had a walkthrough just like, like two minutes from the, yeah, yeah, team walks, moves, just walking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and just like seeing some of the boys, and like they're asking me, "Oh, how are you feeling?" And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I'm pretty nervous." Um, <laughs> and they obviously just say, "Like, it's just exactly the same as any other game you're going to play." Um, and I think saying to them and saying to some of the boys, "Like, oh, I'm feeling pretty nervous," um, actually calmed me down a little bit because I then sort of chilled out I went back to my room and just kind of sat on my phone watching videos just completely switching off from any rugby so I didn't actually think about the game leading up to it and then obviously got on the bus and I was just not so much nervous I thought I was going to be nervous on the bus but I was actually just more excited um, yeah. and then when we got to the stadium I was just like I literally felt like a little kid I couldn't stop smiling or anything before the warm-up <laughs> and, stuff like that. and even before for games I don't tend to get too hyped up I mean in my position, I'm obviously not going to be making massive collisions like you do in a back row or props right. and scrums and stuff like that. Um, so I tend to stay quite low key, and I felt like I was like just excited and really ready to get stuck in. Um, and like I say, Xander came up to me before he sat next to me in the bus actually, and he was like, he just sat down and goes, it's "Just a normal day at work." And then Sam Johnson came up and he was like, "It's exactly the same, just a little bit faster." And it it was just like any other game I've ever played. Obviously, you try and dumb it down to yourself a little bit, but then after the game, you can reflect back and think, I've just made my debut for my country. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so did you try and really, did you try and really block out that sort of aspect of it? And you're like, it's just a game of rugby. Yeah. Or, I did, mean, or did you, or did you allow that? Like, even as the, as the team ran out, obviously Xander got his, he got his little yeah. bit by himself, which he's quite rightly deserved. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. To get 50 caps of 26 is monumental. Oh, I'm yeah. sat here, sat cool. here in my bedroom at 26. So, <laughs> Uh, congratulations, Xander. Uh, yeah, but did you allow yourself when you were doing that run out? Like, did you have your moment to go, I'm gonna switch this to a game of rugby, but this is my debut and I really want to acknowledge what's going on right now? Yeah, I think so. I think the whole, the most nerve wracking part of the whole game day, I feel, is the moment from when you finish the warm up and then you're in the changing room. Right. You're getting changed out of your warm up gear into your match jerseys, the subs. Are like um, saying good luck, and then they go out, and then this is obviously the team talk, and then you walk through the tunnel. Um, that's the scariest part. That's the bit where I feel most nervous when you're about to walk through that tunnel of 
boys and they're like slapping you the back and getting you kind of G'd up. Uh, but I remember just walking out and usually at Glasgow games, for some reason, I don't know why I do it, but I'll just run past sort of Wilson. Right. I'll, I'll just run away from him, run like, out onto the pitch. Um, and for some reason, I just like slowed it right down for that game um, and just sort of almost looked around as I was coming out. And obviously, the atmosphere was nuts as well. Um, so, yeah, I probably took a couple of minutes to like, kind of breathe it in before we did the anthem. And then you, once the kickoff goes, it's just you're not even thinking about the crowd or anything like that. You're just sort of focusing on the game. So. Mm-hmm. Man, I love that because I think I think that's so important because especially the modern day world is so focused on like next step situation and next goal that I think people are quite guilty for not just acknowledging the, the moment they're in. So I love that you actually did take the time for that. Yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. You touched on it briefly with mum and dad. How did mum and dad feel that <laughs> Gregor would, I would do it in the third game and not the second game and your yeah. mum and dad must have been how quick can I get a plane to Argentina? <laughs> well, they, so they were in Argentina Um Obviously, were they there for the third test? I thought they flew back. Didn't nah, they? Nah, they flew back. So they'd come to Chile, yeah, and then they were yeah. first test, second test. And then on the Monday, I knew they were leaving on the Monday, but I wasn't 100% sure of the timing. And we got told maybe, what, 10, 10 a.m., 10.30 in the morning. Um, oh, no. And I had no idea that I was playing. Obviously, unfortunately, Hutch and Kyle got injured. Um, but I'd still had no inclination, no chat really with Gregor or any of the other coaches. <clears throat> and then I popped up and I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> I need to speak to them and text my dad and call him <clears throat> and he didn't pick up and then they replied on like our family group chat and they were out for a coffee um, so I went and met them just before I had my lunch and dad was like on the phone the whole time to BA trying to change his flights and book book something else for later in the week and stuff like that and he did that article with Mark Palmer which I read the other day and uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even realise he was contemplating flying back like <laughs> at, later in the week. Um, but I just said to him, like, look, it's it's a long way, it's a lot of money. Like, um, you don't don't worry about it. You've seen me play in Chile. I've had a nice like three weeks with him. So like you can it's fine, don't worry about it. Um so they tried their best, but there was just nothing they could do really. There was no feasible yeah. way to get back because we were obviously not in Buenos Aires, we're up in the north, so it's not the easiest place to get to. Um mm-hmm. So it was a bit unfortunate, but it was nice. I got to see them before they left. Um, I know. That must have been a nice. That must have been a nice little interaction there at that coffee house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mum was absolutely buzzing. She kind of ran out of the coffee shop to say hi to me before I eventually sat down. <laughs> um, yeah, it, that was nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm buzzing for it. And then it gives you motivation now to keep going because you're like, well, mum and dad have got to see me play in the proper jersey. So yeah, I know it. It obviously does, and you obviously don't want to be stuck on one cap. You want to get as many as you can. Um, but like, like I say, it can change so quick. You never know when they could come. Uh, and my sister was obviously, obviously got to miss out on coming out as well. Um, she's mm-hmm. now based in London, but she loves coming to any of the games and stuff like that. So hopefully, fingers crossed, there'll be one at Murrayfield at some point and get as many as the family down. I'm sure they'll all be absolutely buzzing. It's a, it's a very close-knit group we've got in Presswick. Um, so I, I'm sure they'll, they'll come in their droves, no doubt. <laughs> um, <laughs> Call the Presswick Day out at Murrayfield. Yeah, yeah, literally, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, they'll have a lot to live up to so you can feel the proper power of a Scottish anthem after the yeah. Argentinian one. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I'm buzzing for you and I'm sure your mum and dad will get to see you play at Murrayfield. So yeah. I have no doubt about it. So we've just spoke about how you've acknowledged it. How did the game feel? Do you remember much of the actual game? Um, 
yeah, I mean, obviously the result aside and result, things like yeah, that, yeah. but you... Yeah, I felt like, I remember 20-odd minutes into the game feeling like I was on my deathbed. I was, like, gasping. <laughs> and, um, and that I usually end up, I usually get that sort of just before half time, like, if I'm playing for Glasgow and stuff like that, but it was just that little bit faster. Um, yeah. And obviously the contacts are a little bit harder, but... I mean, like like I said, I was trying to just treat it like a normal, like I'd played, I don't know how many caps I got for Glasgow, um, but I was just trying to treat it like a normal game, like I was used to. Um, but it was that little bit more intense, that little bit faster. It felt like there was more on the line, obviously. Um, and then it was just kind of, it was a strange game. I struggled to maybe break into it in the second half. Uh, and it just kind of... Um, I was obviously happy with my performance, happy with how the game went for me personally, obviously not the result, but um, yeah, I would have just liked to have more of an influence on it, but I mean, I, I can't complain. It was it was a first test, they're not always going to go your way. Um, so. Yeah, first test against a very powerful team as well. Like yeah, they, really have, they have just had like 15 centres in that team as well. Nobody's built small in Argentina. I know. When, uh, when Santiago Carrera scored his try, it was like, it was, I just thought of it, I was like, that's just an Argentina, that's an Argentinian try. Yeah. Like, offload, 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 <laughs> line break. And then you think, you'd hope that I'd be able to catch a 10, but a 10 who's a winger. Um, yeah. By trade, it's like, he just was like, not getting anywhere, I wasn't getting anywhere near him. So, <laughs> um, yeah. You, stood up, you, you covered up the ground, you made it look respectable on the telly, like, don't worry. You um, might have thought you were far behind, it looked all right on the telly. It's one of those things you play play through in your head and you think, like, I definitely could have got that there. If I do it again, <laughs> I definitely could have got it. But that happens all the time. Hind- hindsight's a wonderful thing. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. So, so pundits always look so good because they're talking about it 40 minutes after it happened. Yeah, like, oh, if you just yeah. done that, you'd be... I know, yeah. If he was just so, five metres left, then he would have been absolutely fine. Well, basically, the big takeaway is the tour was class, you had a great time, and yeah. it's the first of many caps. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. It was also cool being away with some of the boys like Ross, Ruth, Dodge, Ashley, the boys. all these guys. So you, teams with, yeah. I was going to say, you've come the whole way up from like under 16s through under 20s to the mains with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, 16s, I was the same year as Rufus and Dodge. I wasn't in their team because of the, the Reds and the Blues. I was in yeah. the, um, then 18s together, 20s together with all those boys. Um, so, yeah, it is really, really cool. Did you, did you, did you and Rufus obviously because like flatmates and things that we discussed earlier? Did you have like a little moment, like even if you're in one of the coffee shops, which is like this is pretty surreal? Yeah, so, you must have both gone to the under 20s in Argentina as well, didn't you? you nah, Rufus, Rufus was injured then. Um, oh, did Rufus, oh, I keep forgetting who made the cut. So it was me, Murph, and Ross, and Ashy all went on that that uh, tour last yeah. Um, because that was our first year 20s, me and Ashy. Um, and then the year after, like the four of us played me, Ashley, Dodge, and Ruth. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, me and Ruth got a photo in the change room, which was like it's sort of the same as we got one in after the Wales game, uh, our last game of the Six Nations. And uh, we've got it up in our flat. And uh, so we got a similar one in the change rooms after that game. Oh, that's quite, that makes me really happy. That's that's what rugby's about. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's pretty yeah, just- Helps when you have to be shit hot as well. So <laughs> I'm just just, just pure jealous. <laughs> so we we got distracted there, but we talked about the bit I wanted to talk about. It, the listeners wanted to hear, so we're good. 
Uh, the memorabilia questions. We spoke about the memorabilia you've got that's pretty cool, and you've probably yeah. ticked off one of the most impressive ones in the cap. What's yeah. a bit of memorabilia you're now looking to add to your collection? See, I had to think about this, and I don't really know. I think um, I love swapping stuff with people. Like, I'd love to... I went in the change rooms after the Argentina game and obviously wanted to keep my debut jersey. Um, mm -hmm. But I've I've obviously met Buffelli playing against Edinburgh. Um, yeah. And obviously guys like Seb and Domingo, they're good mates with him from Argentina. Um, mm -hmm. And he's such a nice guy. I spoke to him after the Edinburgh game. Uh, I then spoke to him after the game and I just went through and swapped shorts with him. Um, and it's really cool because these are guys that like, I watched Buffelli when I was a kid. And even guys like Juan Imoff were there as well, who yeah. I watched play at the World Cup in like 2015 or whatever. Um, and uh, so I think I think it's just like almost like I feel like a little fan still. So any sort of memorabilia, if I played against somebody who I watched as a kid, um, it's probably not going to happen anymore. But like I was a massive fan of Wade Cooper uh, yeah. when I was growing up. Uh, so if I was to ever get the chance, I'd try and swap something with him. Or even just get a photo with them. It's just like little cool things like these. Um, or yeah, so that's what, I don't have a single thing in mind. Maybe if I said like a Wade Cooper jersey. Yeah, Wade uh, Cooper Australia jersey. Yeah, that was like or that Queens and Red one. Do you remember that? That, that him and Will Genya partnership. Yeah, that, yeah. that Queens and Red yeah, shirt was hot as well. Yeah, yeah. So anything Wade Cooper esque would be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like I say, just swapping something with someone that I played against, and you just kind of. Maybe not to like put up somewhere, but just to have and just kind of look back maybe in years to come and think like this jersey is from when I played against that guy. Yeah. I watched him, you know. It's weird to think you have to kind of sit back and reflect on it. Mm -hmm. And you actually realise that um it's pretty it's a pretty cool thing. That'd be that'd be sick. that's a great answer. A quite Cooper Australia attended because like he's one of the most iconic players of the past like ten yeah, years yeah. as well. So Yeah. I I've said I've said it quite a few times before, like he um I remember being like ten, eleven sort of years old and watching Quade Cooper highlight reels just on repeat all the time yeah. um, of just his footwork and just how like he breezes through games and stuff like that. I remember watching that semi-final, was the semi-final quarter-final, I was on holiday and it was Australia against Ireland and the way he was just so casual with everything through mm -hmm. the game, I just I, like, it's just so cool to watch. No, I love, I love that style of player where he's just, yeah, he's so good because even he doesn't know what he's going to do. Yeah, and it, it's 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 must watch rugby is what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's and he's he's quite a cool role model as well. Um, he's obviously been playing out in Japan and stuff like that, and uh, he just seems like such a very like a down to earth guy. And then the clip of him kicking the winner when he got back into the Australia squad, mm -hmm. um, and not like not even celebrating. He's just so calm all the time, and just he trusts his own process and just knows that it's going to go right if he prepares himself well enough. So yeah, he's he is a cool role model to have. I like that. Good answer. Good answer to a good question. Happy days. And now the final quick fire, which I always ask people, and I deeply regret putting it in the intro when I first made this podcast because it now looks really silly. Would you rather have a bourbon or a custard cream? If somebody's offering you a biscuit. Uh, a bourbon, probably. Do you know it's definitely a Scottish thing? All the guests, like the further south I go, I'm, I'm more likely to get a custard cream response. <laughs> yeah. See, my go-to biscuit would be a ginger nut, though. If I'm having a cup of tea, um, I can easily go through like half a pack of ginger nuts, just like dunked in as well. Yeah, Dunk I don't know straight. why. I've loved them like since I was a kid. I just used to eat them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it 
I'll put an optionary like poll three for season three. I'll be yeah. like bourbon custard creams or a ginger nut with all these. Yeah, you probably get. You should make that like some. If you ever do, we'll get we'll get us talking about uh, get, uh, the blood donations later. But if you ever do like a raffle prize, be like just like after the blood donation, like come have a ginger nut and a cup of tea yeah. with Ollie Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll be waiting there. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So, but before we get to there, we're going to go right back to the start. So, school rugby, good old school rugby in Scotland. You can't beat it. Yeah. So, the Wellington School to Strath Allen journey. Yeah. How was that? Because you're playing, because you like, there's a, for people that don't know, there's a massive difference between private school rugby yeah. and public, I say public school. I think public school is what they call it in England for private school, but muggle, muggle school that I went to, we'll call it muggle school. <laughs> How was how it training in that sort of environment? Uh, it was it was really weird. I think like at air, well, Mar first of all, mm-hmm. and then at air, um, we always had a really good team. Um, I remember my from Mar like P threes all the way up to sort of primary seven ish, like barely losing a game with that team. We used to win pretty much every tournament we played in, um, and then we kind of just like boys go and play football or they just kind of lose interest when they go to the academy and stuff like that right. so my, my i kind of forced my hand into going to air and we had like just as strong a team there as well um but it's a shame because the competition is not the same um i remember at welly like you win pretty much well, well, wellington school for yeah 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 sorry um you win most of your games by sort of like 40 50 points it's not much of a challenge um but in, in saying that to be fair when i played at wellington my first couple of years whenever we play like hutchison's or glasgow academy yeah we'd like we'd be on the receiving end of some 40 50 pointers um and there was just nothing we could do about it i think small small place but moving to strath i think my last ever game actually for sort of air wellington it was at the time was against strath um, all right and can't really remember the conversations of like why we chose there because dad and I kind of did it together. He had a couple, a couple of his family went to Strath and he didn't want me to go into like America or something like a big Edinburgh school. Um, (laughs) And it took a bit of adjusting, like getting used to like the boarding school, living in a dorm, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, That must be quite a culture shock that actually. Oh yeah. It took me a long, I remember in pre-season we'd gone back like a week or two before the school term actually started. And I was like, thinking what have I done here I, I don't like this at all the, like the whole the like you say the culture shock the, the chat's different the wi-fi is blocked so you can't like use instagram and <laughs> I remember just being like what am I doing here um and just like missing all my mates from back home and thinking why am I choosing school over being with my mates and like going to house parties and stuff like that but like after a couple months you're then like you kind of get used to it and Murphy was in my boarding house um, All right. which was quite was, was good to have obviously having someone in the rugby team who was in your boarding house and you get on like a house on fire then it makes it the transition way easier um, but I remember my first year of actual rugby at Strath um, and, and just not playing that great rugby I wasn't used to that level of rugby you know you we're in a, a league with that Stu Mel team was mental, like Ross Thompson, Jack Blaine, and Connor Boyle were in that team. Mm-hmm. Um, they absolutely hosed this first game of the season. 
played Merky. They host us as well. I think we only won one league game that season against Dollar. Um, and it's every week it's a hard I love, game. I love that you name them there as well. It's just like, we only won the one game against this school, so we are better than one school. <laughs> yeah, just to make sure they know. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think it was just such a diff- different kind of style of, like, you're playing a, a tough team every single week. Um, and I wasn't mm-hmm. used to that at all. Um, you kind of go from being like a big fish in a small pond and flip it, you're then like a small fish in a big pond and you're kind of, I remember the first few games thinking like, what the hell is going on? Like, I'm way out of my depth here. Um, but then that second year, our team was like unstoppable. It felt like we were just, we win everything pretty easily. I remember like some awesome games. My favourite game like I've ever been involved in was cup semi-final. Um against George Watson's at Myers uh, Myers yeah. Watson's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we beat them. It was it was the weirdest game I've ever played in my life. First half finished nil nil. But I was like, that's the best half rugby I've ever played in my life. And the atmosphere was mental because the whole school came down to watch it. Um there was like seven or eight buses of pupils at the game in Edinburgh. Um and then we managed to like beat them 21-3, I think it was, in the end. And it was just unbelievable having, like, all your schoolmates there watching you, knowing you just made a final um, of schoolboy rugby as well. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's a more enjoyable rugby, playing with your mates and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love playing playing at Strath. It's, it definitely has brought me on as a player. I don't know if I'd... I probably wouldn't still be playing rugby if I hadn't gone to Strath. I was very close to... Um, not going I think I had a deadline of telling them when I could go or not and literally on the last day it was like why not might as well yeah if I, what, if I don't what like have it. I really got to lose yeah exactly yeah and it turned out for the best so it's that's uh, very so glad, what, yeah. what was what was going to stop you playing rugby because you said you were going to oh, stop just, you might have stopped I think just the social side of it just I remember you kind of get to that age of like 15 16 house parties become a thing I was playing football as well. I was really enjoying football. I just started back playing football. Um, so, I mean, I don't really know. Like, I was obviously still a big rugby fan, but it's very easy to get caught up and just think, oh, I'll go to this house party on a Saturday yeah. and play the game on a Sunday. And then... It's easy to be a teenager, go, yeah. Exactly. Take the easy route and just sort of do anything else other than exercise. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm very glad I've... I made the decision to to leave, you know. So, well, as as a lot of the conversations seem to follow on this podcast, if it was easy, everybody would do it, and you yeah. decided to do the difficult thing. So, yeah, that's what I tell like quite a lot of people. If I ever speak to sort of younger kids who ask about um, how 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 do you become a professional and stuff like that, I always say that first of all, find your process that works for you, kind of thing, and second of all make sure you have the balance and you have the ability to say, right, I'm going to not go to this house party or do this or do that. I'm going to focus on my game this weekend. Yeah. And if you just stick in and it's, it's going to turn at some point. Um, it's that cliche where you say like stick at it or, or whatever, but um, it is, it's true. It'll, it'll come, it'll come good at some point. I don't know. I just wish I'd listened to that advice and somebody had told me it before. But yeah. obviously, there was a lot of other contributing factors, isn't not being very good at rugby that play a part in it. But 
Yeah. I was all here for sure. Just for scrums. <laughs> Just for scrums. That's all I was there for. Yeah. So going on from school, obviously you became like how did it feel being the school's champions? Obviously you won it with Strath in twenty eighteen. Yeah, that was really cool. Um there was, that was a, that's technical was that your first appearance at Murrayfield? Must have been? Nah. I under sixteens. Oh yeah, of course. Did you play under on the main pitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. under sixteen club what would have been club cup final or something. We mm-hmm. played Air Wellington against Highland and we won some like thirty something. 14, I can't remember. Um, so that was my first time ever playing there, yeah. And then that was my so like Strath was my second time. Uh, right. And there was a bit of there was there was a bit of arrogance going into that game. We knew that we were going to win, kind of thing, because we'd played Glen Armand earlier on in the season at Strath, and I think yeah. we put eighty points on them or something. Um, and I knew some of the boys in that team, and one of one of their best players, he was injured and basically been forced to play. Um, oh dear. <laughs> and to be fair, we conceded like a minute in or something. We went seven 0 down or five 0 down or something. And uh, just thinking like we're not going to lose this. Like we're actually like we can't. <laughs> lose. Um, and luckily we didn't. Um, but yeah, that was just a really cool way to end. Obviously, schoolboy rugby because I didn't play another game for Strath after that. Because um, mm-hmm. the seven season coincides with the under 18s age grade stuff. Um, so yeah, to say that that's your last game is winning the Scottish Cup. It's pretty cool. That, that must be actually quite a surreal feeling actually to go out in a high but then yeah. i love the thought of you just it's like you can you can see them in the first minute and you see if i was in the team that scored against you and yeah. you all went back to the like the post and you started chuckling at the thought you just can see i feel like these guys are psychopaths yeah it's, <laughs> weird. It's, quite, it's quite weird like we'd um so ed calman was our head coach at school and right. um, players scotland players stuff like that. great head coach um and he's like really into nfl so all of our um, we had a playbook of all our moves. <laughs> and, um, and I remember the week before the game, we are just doing some training, like some walkthrough. And uh, he was like wanting to do some scenarios. Mm-hmm. And he told Murphy, so Murphy was our captain. And he got Murphy to, we were doing like our plays and stuff like that. And then he was like, Murphy brought us all in. And the scenario was, you've just conceded, you've gone 7-0 down in the first five minutes of the game what do you do now? And Murphy had to like give us this pep talk and we were obviously taking the piss out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as, as every teenager does when a captain yeah, has to give a exactly. team talk. Yeah, you have to do something <laughs> serious yeah. um, in a weird environment. We're taking the piss out of him and then it actually happened. So I think we all went in that huddle thinking we literally did this last week. <laughs> like, but then we were like, it's just, um, we'll be absolutely fine. And then ended up kind of running away with it at the end. So. Your coach is just a tactical guru. He just knew exactly how the game was going to go. Yeah, mystical. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on from that, as you said, it touched on nicely. Like the under 18 starts to get, like the seven starts to intertwine, and you find different aspects of rugby coming towards you. Yeah. How was it like when you sort of transition from the school rugby into obviously you've got Glasgow and Scotland Academy, like you touched on, you've done under 16s clubs and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did your pathway? go like did you get an idea of this is how the sort of pro rugby career is coming along or did that start to hit you then or was it still just I'm just having fun playing rugby nah so I I knew I was going to be getting a stage three when I left school yeah in December I think so stage three just for those that don't maybe know the intricate that's the Scotland like academy, academy quite yeah the Scotland yeah, academy graduate called like the senior academy now I think um 
I just knew I just knew you used to turn up to the Edinburgh Napier Uni Gym and you used to throw weights around that I could only dream of lifting. So that, yeah, that was the Edinburgh Academy. Yeah, we were based out of Broadwood, I think. Mm -hmm. I think they're technically based at Scotson or maybe Ravenscraig. I'm not 100 sure. Um, but yeah, I'd known about that in in December because I'd been looking at going to Loughborough for uni, yeah. um, and I think it was a case of like we want to keep a hold of him. Here's a stage three contract, and then I'm obviously like, oh. I'm going to stay around. I'm going to be playing at Basel. Um, but so I know that was kind of in the pipeline when I started playing 18s and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> and then when I came out of school, I mean, going from schoolboy rugby to men's rugby is like a massive jump. It doesn't even have to be that high of a standard. Like It's eye-opening. Yeah, just the strength differences and, and thing Like obviously you could just run through defences at school when you get to men's rugby, somebody's going to hit you, they're going to hit you pretty hard and mm -hmm. you're going to feel it. So it took me a long time to get used to it. And that my first season at air, I remember playing a little bit of first 15, but mostly was in the seconds. Um, a, because I was playing 13 and we used to get guys like Paddy Kelly and Stafford would come and play for air all the time. Yeah. Um, so I remember uh, League Cup, we won the double that year with Murchie's head coach. League Cup final was on the bench, didn't get on. Scottish Cup final was on the bench, didn't get on. And uh, remember just kind of thinking like that was a bit of a bit of a nothing year kind of coming out of school. I maybe had it in my head that I was going to be playing a little bit more, but <clears throat> I still managed to obviously get away on the 20s World Cup. And um, it just felt like I wasn't really playing sort of my mm -hmm. bet. Um, I wasn't really ready for it, maybe. Um, and then that second year of like men's rugby at the Bulls and stuff like that. Uh, and then my second year 20s, I think like I had a different outlook. Like obviously some other things happened just before that season started, um, which kind of changes your perspective on everything. And I just kind of mm -hmm. broke it down and almost said to myself, like just not putting as, um, as much pressure on myself as to be like, I don't have to be the best player in every single game I play. I don't have to make a line break every time I touch the ball. As long as I just do my job well and don't make loads of mistakes, then it's going to start going my way. And luckily I managed to cement my position at number at 15 in the Bulls team and Murchie gave me the freedom of just, just to really do what I wanted, um, like in the game. Uh, yeah. And it just worked. <laughs> okay, you had yeah. to clarify in the game. Yeah, no, I, was, I, was, I was just king of air for about two years. Yeah, I wasn't, yeah not <laughs> trained. I, I still had to obviously put the graft in the training and stuff like that. But um, no, it just worked way better for me. And then going into that 26 Nations, I had a good relationship with Sean Lanine, uh just before it. And Shane Monroe was obviously our forward coach. Good relationship with him because he was mm -hmm. our academy coach at the time. Um, and like, again, I had more freedom to just kind of stay relaxed and just not put too much pressure on it and more of a sort of leadership role within that team. Uh, and that, yeah, that was like that six nations was definitely the most enjoyable rugby I've ever played. It was just like a good group of boys. We all got on really well and we definitely could have, definitely could have won four out of those five games. Um, should have beaten England at Marseille, should have beaten France in Gala. Like mm -hmm. we could have, put in some serious performances and lucky it didn't go our way but that was yeah that was a pretty cool team to be a part of
That's mental. So just to touch quickly back, you mentioned so you obviously didn't get on the pitch for the two finals. Obviously, with the under-20s coming up there, did that sort of worry you as a player? You're thinking, I've got to really cement my name and to prove I can do this. Um, yeah, I mean, because I'd had the Six Nations earlier in that season and yeah. I'd started the first game against Italy, got an injured sort of 15, 20 minutes in mm-hmm. and then struggled actually to get back in the team. Um, I got lucky, fortunate with like a couple of injuries in my position um, but I managed to get more game time than I was probably going to get. Um, and unfortunately, I knew going into that 20s World Cup that I wasn't actually going to play that much. Um, yeah just for one reason or another. Um, and I don't know if that's maybe where my sort of change in mentality started, where it was like, um, I remember the second game against New Zealand and it was just the sort of binges team that uh, <laughs> got chucked out for that game because they wanted to beat Georgia in the last test, last group game. Um, yeah. And I remember like before that game, just thinking they're not expecting us to do anything here. Um, and just having so much freedom and we ended up like obviously lost but it was like the most points ever scored against any New Zealand side ever um, the closest we've ever been to beating them or something at under 20s level something like that ridiculous like we played a really good game of rugby um, and I still knew after that that I wasn't going to be getting back in the team it was just like a, a breakdown of relationship um, mm-hmm. but it just gave me the kind of outlook like this is it's obviously cool to experience a world cup but like it's not one the way i wanted it to but it's not the end of the world like my career is not ending here i've still got loads to look forward to Uh, once i get back to glasgow i've still got another year of 20s as well to do um so it's it's almost like the setbacks kind of just like you can take them one way or another you could either get really sort of bogged down on it um or just kind of look big picture and think in in three weeks I'm not going to play for this team again I'm not going to play under these coaches like I'll be somewhere else like it's not mm-hmm. the end of the world really that's that's a really mature way to actually look at it for somebody who's so young because at that point you're what 19 years old yeah I was 19, still, 19 uh, touching 20 or even 18 I was, touching I was yeah it's it's weird I don't really I think it's a thing that I've sort of looked back on and thought like Especially when you're at school, you, everything you think of, every, you kind of microanalyze everything, and you think, yeah. "Oh, that's so important, and that's so important." But in six months down the line, it's like didn't really matter, did it? Um, <laughs> and that's like obviously within reason. You can't be carefree with everything you do. Like I'm still very passionate about playing rugby and wanting to win, um, but I, I don't. I try not to put that same pressure on myself. Um, my mum always says I'm my toughest critic, um, which is true, but. I'm not like too hard on myself. It's it's I kind of get I get worked up on like petty things like I didn't catch that high ball. How embarrassing is that? And it's like you're not going to catch all of them, you know. It's um, mm. it's like you say hindsight. It doesn't really matter in two weeks' time, but in the here, yeah. What's that? What's that one phrase? It's like if it's not going to matter in two weeks, it's not worth twenty seconds worrying about or something like that. Literally, yeah. And like I say it quite a lot. I think. When my brother passed away in September, in that September of 2019, um, that changes your perspective quite a lot. Not even, not just in rugby, like just in general. Um, yeah. You just kind of, you look big picture on everything and people like problems of stuff. You're just like, it's 
not like that, that's not an issue. That's not a problem. Um, in the nicest way possible. Like if I'm speaking to one of my mates, obviously you, I speak to them all the time. We speak about everything under the sun, and if they're going through a rough patch, like we'll obviously talk about it. But I'll kind of say to them, like, look, it could be so much worse. Um, in a month or two, like, it's you're not going to care about this. You're going to mm-hmm. forget what you were forget you were pissed off about um and i mean that's just how like you can take you can take stuff one way or take another and it's uh it's definitely kind of opened my eyes and sort of made me into a sort of better person and like i've been i've managed to transfer that into rugby thankfully so mate i love i love everything you've just said there i think that speaks volumes and if it's all right with you and if obviously if we don't if you don't want to talk about it that's completely within your own remit but going into the so you've created a charity, Give Blood for Good, and obviously this stems from what happened with the unfortunate passing of your brother. Yeah, Are you yeah. happy to talk about that, and we can talk about Give Blood for Good and get everything? Yeah, make absolutely. sure everybody knows about the great work you and your family are doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm always happy to talk about my brother and stuff like that. It's not. It's obviously not good um, to kind of bottle these things up. It's better to talk about them and. I have no issue talking about it. Could, could not agree more. Well, yeah. could you please, for the for the listeners, give us a quick rundown and give blood for good. Tell us how we can all help out, and then give do your brother some the credit he deserves for being a, obviously a great man. I never had the pleasure to meet him, but the way you speak about him, I'm aware of how much of a great man he was. Yeah. Can you please um, please do us the honor of sharing your brother's memory with us? Yeah. So in t- September 2019, he unfortunately passed away. Um, very suddenly, um, which was obviously strange. It was the, a weird kind of couple of hours after being told by my dad over the phone. Um, and it took a long time to kind of hit me. I remember not obviously being upset, but just being more confused. And then my godmother picked me up from the flat to drive me back down to Presswick. And as soon as I saw her, it kind of hit me. And then kind of see your family and it just is like <coughs> nothing you'd ever wish on anyone uh it's, it was a weird time and maybe sort of six months after that maybe not as long as that, actually my sister and some of her mates set up the charity get blood for good um as a sort of way to remember him and i saw a way to sort of grow um given blood within young people especially um he was I don't really know where it stemmed from his obsession with giving blood. He um, he did it the first time he, when he turned 17. He went to give blood in, in air um, in his school mm-hmm. uniform. There's a photo of it somewhere. Um, it's quite a good photo. And uh, because he was then part of the LGBTQ community, it meant that he couldn't give blood because of the whole AIDS crisis and stuff like that. It was You weren't allowed to, if you were a gay man, to give blood. Um, but it's mm-hmm. recently been changed, so the the research and all that has meant that it's not as much of a risk anymore. Um, so he was able, obviously he unfortunately had passed away by that point, but he still gave blood. Maybe sort of you could say unethically um, mm-hmm. would potentially lie on his thing, but he just wanted to give blood because it was something he really wanted to do. Um, yeah. his, his intentions were pure of heart. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to help people. I mean, you can't, you don't give blood to, um, to sort of mess somebody up. You give blood to help them because you're saving mm-hmm. a life when you're doing it. Um, 
So the charity basically was just to grow awareness in young people because I'd never given blood before the uh, before the charity was started. My parents gave blood. My dad used to give blood all the time when we were kids. Um, and I know maybe two of my friends that give blood regularly. Um, and it's mostly, it's not because they can't be bothered. It's because they don't know. They don't know how easy it is. Um, there's a lot of kind of, not stigma, but there's a lot of um, rumours of like, oh, it messes you up after you do it. You can't do anything, like any exercise for two days after you do it. But it's it's not like the first time I ever gave blood, I played for, against Melrose the day after. Played a full 80 minutes, was absolutely fine. If you just look after yourself the day of and afterwards, drinking, eating the right stuff and kind of replenishing that, that blood, because obviously you lose quite a lot of blood when you do it. Mm-hmm. Then you'll be absolutely fine, and it's it takes half an hour out of your day every sort of six weeks. Um, so I do. I'm probably going to give again soon. I'm on my tenth donation or something. Um, wow. I usually do it with my mum, uh, and I mean the the charity was made in COVID during the first lockdown. Um, so he so we couldn't really do much with it in terms of growing it because it was all just online. Couldn't do anything sort of in person, education wise. Um, but now, obviously, all that stuff's lifted. Um, we had a, they set up a, a, a charity ball in Edinburgh a couple of months ago, which was brilliant. Like 60 people in this room all raising money for the charity. We raised something like six grand or something. That's um, amazing. Congratulations. It was, awesome. it was awesome. And I mean, I like, I don't really handle anything to do with the charity. I just sort of, um, put it out there because obviously yeah. you can social media is such a powerful thing nowadays the more you kind of post stuff about it and the more you can get it out there um the better um, it's my sister's friends and my my dad and my uncle that they kind of run the day-to-day side of it and they've got loads of plans to they've got an initiative set up with glasgow academy um where one of the teachers at glasgow academy is part of the treasury i think um so they do education things with the kids at that at school which is perfect because that's where you need it you need it in schools you need you need to teach them before they turn 17 before they leave that it's such an easy thing to do and then you can get them started quickly and once you're in the routine you just do it and you don't even think about it um so yeah it's and it's pretty cool to kind of have sort of as a sort of remembrance thing um for patrick that this this great charity was started out of a bad situation but now it's a good thing to look back on and sort of in his memory um it's obviously closely linked to uh, the death and i mean it's only good things come out really of giving blood um and we who knows where it could go like it's just keep growing over the next few years and it's just nice to have something to kind of hang your hat on that this has come out is obviously untimely death a couple of years ago so Wow, that's. I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to help in any way I can. If you guys have got t-shirts or anything, and you see I've got stuff around me, I'd be yeah. honoured to have one up here. They like, like help push the word and things like that any way I can. Yeah, they well, they had. They sold t-shirts a couple of years ago. I think that was before COVID, maybe, um, or during. They sold t-shirts, which were like a massive success. I think they'd maybe planned for X amount of t-shirts, but then like. Mm-hmm double, triple the amount they actually sold. And then they had uh, some vests and stuff like that. And they'll probably have something in the pipeline more. So there's always ways you can get involved. Um, 
and it's good like you say like using social media to grow the brand just sharing mm. pieces now and then like it's it's, it's brilliant so, yeah oh oh for sure all links will be in the description of this and i'll put we yeah. have like a the podcast has a you know the link tree pages i'll definitely yeah, get yeah, one yeah. set up as yeah, well yeah. Oh, 100%, that'd be perfect. I'd love it. And then let me know when the next round of t-shirts are going on and I'll happily pay full price and get one up here. Yeah. Be honoured to have one. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely, that's perfect. And just make sure I get in the know so I get one if these things are selling out three times over. I want to be... been been stitched up before and never got a t-shirt. I want to make sure I get one. <laughs> I'm useless for missing drops. So, <laughs> so that's, that's lovely. And I think what you've... As you put it nicely, you, you get to hang your hat on what was a really horrible situation you get to really put a positive association with yeah. it so you've not just got that memory on its own you now have this to sort of look at as well yeah yeah, which yeah. i think is is it's beautiful and i think your family and everybody involved should be commended to the highest yeah, yeah. yeah so, it's good we've obviously got a close-knit family especially like not just mum dad sister like her um sort of friend group in Mm-hmm. Right, so it's just so tight that it made dealing with the whole situation like so much easier um and now any family event it feels like they're part of the family it's like a wider group um which is lovely to have you know um mm-hmm. and it's it definitely helped with dealing with the whole situation yeah i mean that was obvious as well when you said it's like even it was your godmother that picked you up from the flat and things like yeah. that it's yeah yeah, yeah. it's peaceful it's i'm from like you know yourself at borders it's about as redneck in Scotland as you can get. We're all very close knit group, so I completely, I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We just yeah. don't use as we just don't use as many vowels and merge words together. Don't belong together, but yeah, it's a different different world down there in the borders. <laughs> hey, just because you're on the podcast, it can't be mean. <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let you off. You came on. You can have have one jab. Yeah. So, speaking, I'll go back into the story of the evolution of Ollie Smith now. So. You had just sort of like academy year and like you said, you're like, I'm going to be, I was more, you were more down at air, but you were training with Glasgow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you got the pro season that we've just had. And as you put nice at the start, the consistent game time in the jersey, how did that start to feel as obviously, as we touched on at the very start with Scotland, mm-hmm. not many people know your name when you go to Chile and that. No, but no. In Glasgow, your name's become a bit more familiar and people start to recognise you as a player. How does that sort of change when everything's going around in your brain? It's really, it's, it's quite strange. I think um, it obviously had been like a non-star. I mean, I, I've, uh, I had my debut game was the same game as Rufus uh, mm-hmm. and a week after Ross. And um, our two, like, well, three of us, um, our starts just went completely different. Like, Rufus mm-hmm. obviously was scoring worldies kind of every week and he seemed to be everywhere. Uh, and then Ross, obviously, young player of the season, player of the season, uh, after mm-hmm. only playing half the season, kind of. Um, and I sort of fell out of favour, got injured. I mean, my performances, when I look back at it, um, it's not I'm not embarrassed, but I'm disappointed in not taking those opportunities. Um, and maybe it, was, it, maybe it was a bit premature. I wasn't maybe ready. Um, and then going into this season, I had, and again, a completely different mindset going into the preseason games. I felt like I was in better physical neck. I was bigger, I was stronger. Um, and it, again, it just didn't really kick on. I remember playing the first two preseason games, 
thinking I'd played all right and then being on the bench for the first game and being a bit disappointed and then being dropped the week after. And uh, like I say, like that takes, it takes, takes a hit on your confidence. Um, Ross and guys like Rufus, Darge as well, they're playing every, every game week in, week out and you're just kind of at the sidelines. You're literally just training because there was no other games. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had a mental switch sort of maybe October, November time thinking, right, I'm going to get myself in some serious, like some serious shape and work really hard at what I, like you say, control the controllables. And um, mm-hmm. all I was doing was gymming and training. So I was like, I'm going to work really hard in the gym. I'm going to focus on what I'm eating and be in the best shape I can be for whenever that call comes to play again, that'll be ready. Uh, and then that La Rochelle game came completely out of the blue. I wasn't even in the squad that travelled to Exeter the week before, like not even 24th man or anything. Um, and then the week after, just the team got announced. I had no inclination of me being in the squad um, and I was on the bench. And then obviously the game went the way it went. I didn't come on until the last sort of seven minutes or whatever. And just, yeah. I remember Murchie, um, Murchie was on the touchdown at that point because he wasn't the defence coach yet. And he was saying to me like, just, do what you've been doing in training, go make something happen. And then obviously got lucky with the two, the two, two touches was two tries. Yeah. And from there, it's just been like nothing I could have imagined. The week after starting against Connor, um, I remember thinking before the game, like, uh, it's a win-win for me. If I, if I, well, not a win-win, but if I remember thinking, if I play badly, then I'll just be back to like, obviously be gotten but I'll that's what they'll expect they'll think he's not ready still mm-hmm. if I play well then they're going to think oh we can just play him whenever we want so I was kind of carefree and just you know like ready to kind of do what I've been doing in the build up um, we obviously had a great like a great team win that day put 40 points on Connor in Galway um, and then from then just rolled in and just started most games after that um my injury also came at a pretty difficult time when I just cracked into the Six Nations squad. Um, and when I came back from that, it was a bit sort of like Josh was playing really well. Like he was one mm-hmm. of our best players last season. And uh, uh, I remember coming back from that and thinking, oh, I'm going to have to like break, try and get back into the team again. It's going to be all over again. Um, and then go to South Africa and start in both games and sort of been like, oh, right, maybe, because I, I mean, I hadn't really had much conversation with the coaches and thinking maybe, all oh, right, I'm now like the starting, I'm in the starting role and like, yeah, it, it was, it was a pretty cool feeling to know that I'd not played in two months, um, but they're still backing me to start against the Stormers, the team who obviously won the league and then the Bulls. Um, and they're not easy games either, they are, no, especially were, when you're in South Africa. Yeah, the Stormers game was probably the hardest game I've ever played. Um, and yeah it, it does put you at ease because you then relax a little bit more in your role and think you, you obviously don't you're still you've still got people breathing down your neck like we still had Rufus coming back Cole was always like in in your peripherals like he's he, every time he plays he's he's a solid player Steno as well like guys like Ratu Sebastian Seb like it's it's a good back three we've got at Glasgow um so you know you can't slip up, but knowing that kind of sort of in the back of your mind, knowing that you're going to be playing week in, week out, puts you at ease and allows you to get into sort of rhythm. 
and I always feel I play my best rugby when I'm playing consistently. Um, and thankfully, like I, I managed to sort of still play all right after I came back from my injury, um, which obviously led into the getting into the touring squad, which was obviously really cool. No, that was it. Was so it was great to watch as well because, like you said, it seemed every time you got there because obviously you had the first two games of the season get dropped, and then it's always because I have I I never get to, I've never got to experience the level of rugby you've played at, and I've come to terms with the fact I never will. But when you talk about getting like you think about getting dropped, and when you see it from an outside perspective, you think, "Oh, this guy's got dropped." I don't know how it really fit, but the way you've made it sound like it really does weigh on a player when you do get dropped because it's like a, I suppose there's very few jobs in the world where you get a physical public yeah. telling off that you are not performing to the standard you want to be performing. Yeah, I think when you break it down as well, it's like you've obviously got so many people who are invested in the club and love coming to watch the club. Um, mm-hmm. And when you're not playing well, you, you hear it. Like obviously the way the season ended, it was like an absolute barrage. I remember staying off Twitter for a couple of days. Um, and it's, again, like even in rugby, it's, it's an, it comes to an ego thing. Um, yeah. You Obviously, rugby is a game of testosterone and just absolute nut job sometimes. And when you get, <laughs> when you get dropped, like it does knock your confidence a bit because you're thinking like, this is my job. I'm not good enough at my job to play in this team. Like, what am I doing? Like, I remember thinking, like, dive. should I even do this really anymore? Should I, should I look elsewhere? I love playing rugby. I'm not going to stop playing rugby, but um, should I look elsewhere if I'm not going to be playing here anymore? I don't want to be become a player that's like just um, sort of training and to no avail, like not actually getting in the squad. Um, so it, it it's difficult when you get dropped, and I've experienced it a couple of times now with obviously that 20s World Cup and then making my debut and getting dropped again and then mm-hmm. being dropped at the start of the season as well. Like it was, it was pretty tough, especially when the guys that I played twenties with are going sort of um, the other way and they're starting it week in, week out. And obviously it's good to see, but as a rugby player, you know, you kind of, you think to yourself like, why can't I do this? Why can't I be doing that as well? And I mean, it obviously turned good for me. I got very fortunate and lucky, but, um, it's yeah, it is difficult, and it's it's uh, people take it differently. It's, it's a weird way to kind of get your think weird thing to get your head around. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it sounds like you really did get your head around it, and obviously we got to watch you do it because, as you said, South Africa tour end of the season, Connacht game, La Rochelle game, yeah. you really did step up and become the the consistent player in the jersey. So vice versa, as the feeling of the dropping comes like. We, you touched on it briefly, it feels weird becoming the first, like, back to the American football reference, the first choice, mm. 15. But yeah. how did it, because obviously the Glasgow 15 shirt has now got a bit of, got a bit of prestige about it thanks to Hoggy and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So, and obviously I've seen him, you said yourself, you stay off Twitter if there was a particularly tough yeah. bit, like a tough game. Do you see it when people start to compare you to Hoggy and things like that? Yeah, I mean, um, I've seen quite a bit of it. I remember my first few games, um, people discussing it and stuff. And I've been asked in interviews before, like, Hogs getting older now, like, are you going to be the next sure Hog kind of thing? And I don't really like to do that. I don't tend to kind of model my game off of a particular player. Like, Hogs obviously been one of the best players 
like Scotland have ever had three yeah. Lions tours or whatever. Um, he's near a hundred caps. You obviously get there. Um, and he's in a phenomenal athlete. Like he's, I'm not going to be the same player. He's obviously so fast, um, so quick, and I'm not. I'm never going to be like that quick. Um, I have to find different areas of my game where I can improve, and that's kind of what I did at the start of the season. I sort of looked at my own game and thought, right, I need to work on this and this, and kind of become more of an all-round player. Um, I spent ages working on my kicking game because my kicking used to be dreadful, like all over the place, and. I feel like now I'm more consistent, I'm striking it better and it becomes yeah. such a weapon in the game to just sort of relieve pressure and you can always still work on these things. Um, so, I mean, it's nice to have that, it's pretty cool to have that comparison to a guy like Stuart Hall, like I said before, with guys like Wade Cooper, I watched them as kids. Um, mm-hmm. I was obviously, what, like 10 or 11 when Hoggy made his debut for Glasgow and then obviously went on that Lions tour at, what, 18, 19. Um, so I'm a massive fan of like his rugby, um, and but I don't personally compare myself to his game because we're different players, um, and I also don't think too far ahead. I just like to think in the here and now and sort of work in small increments. I have my own personal goals that I tend to just keep to myself. Um, but I won't, I won't ask you to share them because <laughs> that would have been my follow up question if you hadn't gone with I keep them to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just it just I just feels a bit. Um, I don't want to be too premature and sort of voice yeah, that. Yeah, jinx it almost. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, whenever the opportunity comes, you know, I'm going to try and take it with both hands. Luckily, this summer, obviously, with Hoggy not there, but I'm, I'm obviously all respect to Hoggy. Like, he he is the shoe and he's the captain of the Scotland team. Like, I'm not expecting to sort of take his jersey, so to speak, um, anytime soon. But whenever, like, an opportunity comes to play again, like, I'm obviously going to be ready for it. I'm going to try and do mm-hmm. it. I love that as well, because I think what you summed up nicely there as well, because obviously a lot of rugby Twitter, specifically Scottish rugby Twitter, labelled you the next Stuart Hogg and things like that. But mm. if you look at Chris Patterson and everybody called Stuart Hogg the next Chris Patterson, and it's yeah. two completely different players, like you said, it's yeah. two yeah. completely different games. So you're just going to yeah. be the first Ollie Smith and then some guy will go, are you the next Ollie Smith to the next kid? And you'll yeah, be like, whatever that, you do, don't answer that stupid question. Because um, <laughs> even you look at, like, when I started at Glasgow, uh, Rory Jackson was there. Um, yeah. And he was a player that was, he um, had an unreal kicking game and his knowledge of the game, um, backfield coverage and everything was, like, mental. And I took a lot from him when he was still there. He was a good mentor for me. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's almost like taking stuff from, more like say take Jacko's knowledge and kicking game and take Hoggy's speed and footwork and the way he moves with the ball it's all like all these little increments from different people is like it's all stuff that can grow me as a player um but I'm just going to try and maybe do it a little bit differently just and obviously add my own little bit to it as well I love that that's that's a great that's a great response to that question and that sort of situation as well I like that because I love, I love the authenticity, and I think it's it's been really apparent in the conversation tonight. Like your authenticity that comes through is yeah. brilliant, and obviously, like you said, since you had that mind—not going to say mind switch—but you had that attitude adjustment of this is a game of rugby that I've been doing since I was young because it's fun. Yeah, and I took the fun out of it, stopped enjoying it. I've brought the fun back, and I've seen success. Yeah, 
So would you say that's like a fair assessment as well? You try to focus really more on the fact that it's still meant to be fun. Yeah, I think so. I think I remember speaking to my parents and them saying like, whatever you decide to do, we're going to back you 100%. And mm-hmm. I said, I'm not going to be stupid. I'm not going to walk away from rugby because it's something I absolutely love doing. Um, I'm going to actually have to knuckle down and do it. And it's all, like you said earlier on, if if, every, if it was easy, then everyone would do it. And it's not easy. Um, but like that mind switch has definitely sort of made me into sort of even a better person outside of rugby. Um, I've become well more level-headed and sort of tried to just stay grounded um, on and off the field. And um, it's paid dividends to me. It's like an epiphany almost. <laughs> it's just that magic light switch moment. Just went like yeah. that. One day oh. just, yeah, just Mate. changed my ways a lot. I'm, I'm loving watching every bit of your journey. And as we said at the very start, I've had the pleasure of knowing you for a few years now, a few various things and yeah. feel feel weirdly proud whenever you do something well. I'm like, because obviously I, I tweeted about it a couple of days after your yeah, debut. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, the, the people people might not know like everything you've worked for as this podcast has showed there's a lot of grit and determination that goes into it a lot of people have this awful idea that as soon as somebody's in scotland under 16s you're like handheld walk through to the national team yeah, and they go right come with you which yeah, is far from true yeah so it's, it, yeah, it takes a lot i mean there's so many guys that i've played with at under 16s who were far better rugby players than i was um mm-hmm. and like under 18s they're maybe still there and then you get older and like life gets in the way sometimes it's not their choice but i've grown up with guys who were far better than me um who maybe didn't get selected like sometimes your face just doesn't fit with people um Mm -hmm. and it's a shame and it's yeah i potentially got a bit lucky as well um as i was growing up but I've yeah, thankfully managed to take the opportunity pretty well, and I managed like now to say that I do this as a job is every time I kind of say it to myself, it doesn't really feel real. It's kind of crazy. So I mean, you make an interesting point there because obviously Patrick Harrison, Edinburgh hooker. Yeah. I obviously I've I played with his brother at rugby. We were the same age. Him and his actually his two older brothers were the year of like same year as me, and the year above me. Uh, and Patrick obviously he gave up rugby for like four or three or four years. He's... Yeah, I heard this when we were on tour. We were watching the Twenties Boys, and they were saying that. He was he was what he was a back row and then he was a center he was a center for like yeah, four years. Yeah. yeah and then there was something about like a team needed a hooker one night and he just said yeah i'll play him yeah yeah people's i think people's twos just called him for a, or it might not have been people's twos, it might have been the under 18s yeah. called him for a hooker and he just turned up because he's like he's he's so like a bit of background about patrick I, I won't give any details but his family owns a farm right and they're all like a farmer fat as you are in the borders everybody owns yeah. a farm this kid's like you know you're not not meant to go in the gym when you're 13 because you're still growing yeah he's the kind of kid that he's the kind of guy that have a conversation with you while he's holding a sheep under each arm and you're you're built different this kid yeah yeah, yeah. i know seems to be like obviously an athletic hooker um yeah which is all the range these days it seems to be yeah (laughs) a hooker that does 100 and sub 10 yeah Uh, but yeah, so it's interesting you see because I think when you said there, like I knew so many players that were better than players that have gone pro, yeah. And I, I immediately like three or four names just rattled off in my head that I thought yeah. were like regionals. I grew up with a guy um, who I played with at Air, and um, 
he used to play for Newton Stewart, a guy called Jack Gaw, and he played in my air under 16s team. And he was an awesome player. He was a farmer as well, um, yeah. down in Newton Stewart. And he was like hard as anything, wee guy, um, kicked off a cone. Like he used to kick <laughs> for our team and just kick off a cone. I remember playing Glasgow under 18s, my first year of under 18s before I went away to school. And Jack was in that team and he kicked off a cone and just thinking like, how has this guy not got more recognition before? He was, he was like, I remember playing against Newton Stewart and hating playing against him because he'd hit so hard. He'd carry so hard, but he was just such a wee guy. And mm-hmm. then, like, like I say, his face didn't fit because he was too small to play 12. But like, it was mine. It just didn't make sense to me. Um, and I, I think he just plays for Newton Stewart now and works on a farm and like is enjoying doing that. Um, but he oh, yeah. definitely, could have, definitely could have gone far in rugby if, if people just had looked over the fact that he was a little bit short and somebody yeah. else, it didn't really make a difference because he still did the same job. I've got the exact same thing. You might know him, uh, Jedbra 13, Rory Marshall. Right. Yeah. Right. So he plays, he plays for the Jed, he plays for Jed now, right? Yeah. He was, so he, in our regional team, it was him and George Taylor were 12 and 13. Mm. And I think they swapped at the time. So I think George was playing 13 and Rory was playing 12. Yeah, and this isn't this isn't like a like a shit talk on George because George is great and everybody yeah. knows George is great, but Rory was a better player than George in my my opinion. Yeah, and it was it's like you said this kid just hit hard, everything like his legs didn't stop moving. It was like trying to stop two tree trunks running at you. Yeah, yeah, and but like you said, he's so happy just playing Jed rugby works. I think he's a he's a workiest description and he's he's just happy with it. Yeah, and it's like it's obviously not for everyone then. Um... Yeah. that's the hardest thing obviously when you leave school and you're not really like you don't really have to do rugby anymore that some mm-hmm. people just find more interest in working doing something else and yeah. you know it's it's not for everyone but uh, yeah there's definitely some guys who've gone through the cracks unfortunately uh, and that's it but rugby is a game for everybody different strokes for different folks definitely yeah <laughs> so We've got to end it up. I've had such a lovely conversation here today. And the only thing left to do is for you to hate me when I make you sell your teammates under the bus <laughs> in our beloved section under the team bus. So, Ollie, simple as you like. It's literally quick fires again, but instead of this time, it's what your opinions are. It's whichever your teammate answers the weird, fits the weird question. Fair enough. So, if you run out of answers, you're not allowed to just say yourself either because I've had a few cop outs. No, if I run out of answers, I'll just say nothing because I like chucking them under the bus. Because <laughs> that means he has to come on and then I get another guest and he can just slate you for an hour. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> so we start off with a nice one. Who's the hardest tackler in the team? Uh, Tom Gordon. Fair, good answer. Who's got the fastest feet? Uh, oh, Tom Jordan's got a good step. George Horn. Really? Yeah, Jamie, Jamie, like Dobie's got deceptively quick feet and he's rapid as well. Um, <laughs> so I'll maybe say Jamie, Jamie or George. So, yeah. I'll, I'll let you have it too. Who is the human turnstile? Who'd you look at and think, well, that's a missed tackle uh, in training, not in a game? Because obviously nobody misses tackles in a game. Oh, in training, <laughs> I say Murphy because he's slow, he's just running. <laughs> And now, the problem is, I now know Murphy's your cop out answer, Ollie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, I just, I've got to go back to training two days. I'm not saying anybody. Yeah. Who's uh, most up for a night out in the team? Who's the one after a game that's like, so we're on the beers? Cole Forbes. Cole Forbes, love a beer. Loves a beer. Loves a beer, yeah. 
Is that, is that the South? Is that the South coming back up there? He was definitely. Right, who can't handle the night out once calls arranged the night out? See, it's not a cop out answer, but Murphy can't. Can not. Nah, he like he disappears. He smoke bombs all the time. Oh, um, Murphy, you can't be doing that. Yeah, I know. He does it all the time. He'll just like he'll get to a certain point and he'll just take himself home, which is probably responsible. But, uh, it's a very responsible thing to do, but he um, he's one for just leaving early, just getting up and just and if his mind's not in it, he's like he'll have a couple and then just go home. Yeah, oh, so I mean, I'm saying I'm saying he can't handle it. He's just very grown up and responsible. I'm not, <laughs> you don't force anyone to drink, but no. um, yeah, that's, that's what you mean. When you're not up for a night out, there's no worse place to be than oh, a pub with other boys. I know. But right, I've, I've I've smoke bombed a few nights myself. I can't. Oh, yeah, I mean we all have to. <laughs> Every now and again, someone's got a stuff fancy. Yeah. Uh, who's the next? Uh, who's got the worst fashion sense? Who's turned up in some outrageous club, or do you think whatever you managed to get that? Rory Dodge, one hundred percent. Rory Dodge. He, what's, he, what's he rocking? He wears like, oh, we take the piss out of him all the time because he turned up to, turned up to the pub in like a long sleeve polo shirt. Buttoned up. That's, that's a bit. That's a bit rogue there in twenty twenty two. To be fair, he's like he's not fast at all. Like if you you take the piss out of him for whatever he's wearing, he doesn't really care, and he'll continue to wear, it, which is fair enough. But <laughs> his fashion sense is dreadful. Oh, he's he's got to be bad at something. He seems to be pretty good at everything else. Yeah, so yeah. the fact yeah. that he can't even pick out clothes is a good. Yeah. It makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> Ed, who's the biggest joker in the changing room? Who's always pulling pranks? Uh, Walter Fafita is actually he loves like just joking around he's never never seems to be serious and he's always got the speaker on love that yeah. big fan of that who's a uh, who's the best dancer uh, who's in the changing room cutting shapes after a win or after a, a loss I don't know actually who would be the best dancer uh, I'm actually not sure who would be the best dancer Sounds like, I've just, sounds like I've just done Glasgow's next social next social activity. Just yeah, I'm gonna have to think about this. Dodge, uh, if he gets like quite steaming on a night out, he'll start dancing, and it's hilarious. Love that. Like just no care in the world. It's quite funny. Um, I, th- I think you've answered my next question, which is worst answer there. But <laughs> yeah, maybe Dodge. I say yeah. <laughs> or Murphy. Murphy's got like really long arms, so he's a bad dancer. Gangly. Gregor Brown's a bad dancer. Really. He's a serial two stepper and does nothing else. The the don't spill the pint, like it doesn't yeah. even move, it's like gyro stable. <laughs> yeah, he's bad for it. So next one, who's the player where they've just had the most natural skill you've ever seen? Like you know that like, you go to training and you're like this not necessarily doesn't try, but he just makes yeah. rugby look effortless. Um I don't know, I've always said that one of the best guys I've ever trained with was Pete Horn. He was just like awesome. A lot of people, a lot of people say that. Yeah, his skill set was just so good and he was just like, he just seemed to be so calm on the ball all the time. Somebody like Hasto as well, when he was at Glasgow, mm-hmm. he just looked like so calm all the time and just like so casual when he's kicking or when he's like kind of dummying and going through the line and stuff like that. Hasto was like pretty impressive with that and he, I mean, you see that when he plays as well. Fair. Uh, and then almost vice versa that. Who's not necessarily the most talented skill-wise player I've ever seen, but like, you know, just like natural freak athlete where it's like you could do CrossFit at the elite level if you wanted to. Dodge, hundred percent dodge. Again, that, that's fair. It's it's hilarious watching him try and pass the ball. Sometimes <laughs> I say, I mean, for his own sake, he's gotten a lot better, but 
he's a freak athlete. Like the the guy just seems to be shredded all the time. And I know what his <laughs> diet's like, and it shouldn't he shouldn't look like that from his diet. You've done you've done nice today. You've brought out his fashion says and rad him out to the strength and conditioning coach there as well. Well, if he's performing well, it doesn't matter. Games, ah, exactly. Nobody's going to change what he's doing. But yeah, exactly. Game, game's the game. I love that. That's exactly what Under the Team Bus is here for. <laughs> so, who's got the worst sidestep you've ever seen? Who pops a sidestep in like warm up touch and you think, what are you playing at? See, I'm just going back to this. Murphy has a dreadful <laughs> sidestep. Just slow feet. Yeah, slow feet. Just, well, he's also got big skis as feet. Big <laughs> things. Um, but he does this kind of wiggle in the air, like. The like goosey, the phenomenal yeah, goosey. A weird goose, but it doesn't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> the guy that jumps, but he just goes up and comes straight back down and says, what? Literally, yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, I'm part of the front row union, so I'm saying nothing. Uh, who's got best tunes? Uh, you said Fafita's always got the, the stereo, so I imagine yeah. not a lot of people get a shot. But... Walt, yeah, Walter's got good tunes. He seems to mix it up quite well as well. Like Sometimes oh, yeah. we'll have like um, some music from... NZ or something, and then you'll have like some old bangers. Like he's had Katy Perry on quite a few times. And I love that. Something for everybody. Yeah. I also love whenever I ask, because like, we have get rugby boys on, and they go, like, Oh, they've got some bangers for the boys, and it'll always be traditional trash pop. Like, yeah. It's never oh, like, Oh, he's got, he's got like Lincoln Park. So I was like, Oh, he's got Katy Perry, and it's actually quite good. Yeah. Apex and old Katy Perry stuff, you know, it's, it never, never misses. I love that. Right. Who is the future coach when you look at somebody you think you've got, like, just coach written all over you? Um, oh, basically, who's the biggest nose? Ross Thompson could coach. I don't know if he could be bothered, but he's like so switched on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Just rugby IQ through the roof. Yeah. Stafford. Stafford's a bit of a nose as well sometimes, actually. He could probably coach. He could be a skills coach. But like, somebody like, uh, obviously played with Pete Horn, he was always going to be a coach. You can just tell. You can always tell. What players are going to be coached. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they're just a all the time, then they're going to be a coach. <laughs> I love that. It, who is hard as nails? Who's somebody that, if it all, say there's like a big shirt pulling contest, who's somebody you want to do behind you if it all kicks off? Uh, I'd say Tommy G. Really? That's yeah. Fair. Yeah, he is hard. Hard. <laughs> yeah. I remember um, watching, like, just, it just seems to be any guy that runs into Tom Gordon, he's just going to stick his head down. And then, <laughs> When we played the Bulls, Marcel Cotsia ran off the back of the line out straight into Tom Gordon. And That'd be terrifying. He he like he did get sparked to be fair, because he got his head on the wrong side, but like that was one of the biggest collisions I've ever seen. What, um, what, what, a complete sidetrack. What do you do in that Like, Because obviously as a fullback, you get like a nice sort of prime time seat for situations like that. Yeah. And you're kind of just like, oh my God. <laughs> I think it varies on the situation. I remember playing Newcastle in pre-season at Scotston and one of their second rows broke the line and just thinking, I've got to just dive at ankles here. And like, just <laughs> speed bump, head, just stuck operation speed bump. Yeah. my head in the spokes and I definitely got bounced, but somebody tackled them from behind. So it made me look all right. It made it look like I made the tackle, but I definitely didn't. Um, you just prefer, see, to be fair, I'd probably I prefer an, a big second row breaking the line than say like um Cheslin Colby or something because you're gonna get embarrassed. If mm-hmm. if like Pierre Schumann runs over the top of you, they're gonna be like, oh fair enough. <laughs> if Cheslin Colby breaks your ankles then it's a bit more embarrassing. 
No, I get that. I remember having this discussion with somebody when I was in school, and I'd much prefer to tackle a second row because there's a bit more area to aim for. Whereas yeah, you exactly. get the small guy as well, because not most of the small guys as well know how to run like a sprinter with knees up. Yeah. So you have a small cool. window of something to hit. Exactly. Yeah. But the second row is like, I remember um, when I was playing with the Bulls, Cami Henderson, who I was obviously at school with, was playing for mm-hmm. Sterling. And uh, there was a couple of times, I don't know how, but he always used to break the line. And um, we had a running joke that he would never be able to step me just because he'd run at me, try and step or bounce <laughs> me. And I'd just like go as low as I can and he just can't reach down to me because he's so tall. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. You have a bit of a nose yourself. You've got the head to tackle the big man. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I do get done for being a nose quite a lot because dad's obviously a massive fan. Um, and I like... I'm so knowledgeable. I, I know seem seem to know everything about like rugby's growing up as well. I went. I did a deep dive on my Twitter a few weeks ago, as you do uh, when I was in Argentina. I spent like two hours just going through my Twitter. <laughs> I got down to like 2014, 2015, That's and I was just tweeting constantly about Glasgow. Like um, <laughs> I remember tweeting. I showed I showed Benzo this when we were away. I tweeted like Mark Bennett with two love hearts. It must he must be been for the time and I was watching. And that was just like such embarrassing. Like, oh. mate, I saw there was a there was a TikTok like that. I saw and my girlfriend sent it to me. She's like, I don't worry about my boyfriend messaging other girls. I worry about him messaging his famous sports stars after they've had yeah. a good game. Yeah, that was it's so true. Yeah, definitely me. <laughs> hey, we've all done it. We've all done it. So down to the final two, and these are the proper good ones. Who is most likely to go to Nando's and order a plain level spice? Ross Thompson. Really, just can't hack it. Hack the heat. And finally, probably yeah, just can't hack it. Yeah. (laughs) And finally, who's the one that hogs the mirror the most post game, knowing he's got a big interview coming up? Rufus. Really, just loves it. So much time in his hair. Yeah. (laughs) Loves. He loves looking in the mirror. Yeah. Love that. Well, there we go. Eyes under the team bus. Ollie Smith. That was phenomenal. Proper answer. And you didn't even sell out Murph that much. Everything was fair. Yeah. They were. Yeah. Most of my answers are justified when it comes to that. Yeah. <laughs> I love the I love the thought of doing that. That when you do that and the rest of the team watches it and they all just go, "I spawned there, yeah, he spawned there, I yeah. got it down." We'll talk about that kind of quite a lot actually. And we'll just be like, "Who kind of does that?" And you'll be like, "Yeah, good answer. That's a good yeah." I, can see <laughs> I love that. That's do you know what? Do you know what really? Take away? It sounds like the team spirit at Glass. Like like you said, you maybe didn't have the best season, and obviously ended on a few seven notes like the Leinster game and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a team, like it's such a family atmosphere in that team. Yeah. I mean, and it's I mean, like the rugby is almost like it grows because of the family atmosphere, not the other way around. Yeah. Because when you're in a tight knit group, you're obviously going to want to perform for for the boys. Like um, mm-hmm. it, it becomes more personal winning games and stuff like that. And it shows on the pitch as well. If you're a tight knit group, you're going to play better because you just yeah. know each No, I love, I love that. So now the only thing we've got left to do is to say off. So after next year, when you've won the championship, big win, yeah. whatever whatever they've decided to call the league next year after there's many name changes, yeah, I know. you've got to pick three songs to get the boys ready for now. Victor's managed to give you the, he's given you the, the what do you call it, the speaker for the yeah. day out. Yeah, what yeah. three songs are you picking and why? So the first song I'll pick is Miami by Will Smith. Great. I don't know how I managed to learn it, but I can recite the whole song. Um, so if I have to sing on a bus, that's usually my go-to as well, Smith, Miami. Um, if, I'm ever, if I'm ever struggling for social content, I'm going to send you a message. Can I get a three-minute video clip of... <laughs> me just singing Miami. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, that's the thing. Somebody will call your bluff on it on Twitter, I hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, then my second one would be Summer 91 by Noizu. It's a bit more dancey and stuff like that. And it's just like, I remember I, I had a 21st, my 21st last year, I made a big playlist for it. And that was my favourite song. It's just like, it's such a nice kind of summer song. Yeah, yeah. And then the last one would be it's Doctor Pressure by Julian Angel. It's like a it's a remix of like an old old favourite. And Murphy actually put me onto it, so I'll I'll give him credit. Um and it is much more of like a sort of like house music y kind of So at that point you're at that point you're ready to get me in the club right now. Yeah, so like Miami would be the start kind of Mm -hmm. started prees or whatever. And then it just kind of builds up and then Doctor Pressure would be like more towards the end. I love that. You like that? What was that? Do you remember that Zach Efron film that came out like eight years ago or something now? And it was like him and Emily Ratajkowski. Oh like yeah, you're your friends. Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah. I like that. I, know, movie. I, I quite like that. But you've got it there. You're like, oh, you have to start with the heart rate pace oh, and then you yeah. kind of build it up. Yeah, I remember. Um, see, you kind of spent a lot of time drinking in the flat for a lot, mm-hmm. and we they'd come to our flat quite a lot. Um, the boys. Um, when it was legal, obviously, before anybody said anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it would be like my Spotify that would be on it. So I spent a lot of time playing DJ and thought like this love song kind of go into this song. I love listening to music. So. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, Ollie, this has been the best. I've had so much fun and I thought it was a perfect way to cap off season two. So thank you for that. Yeah, Where can you. they follow you on social media to keep up to date with all your adventures? Um, so on Twitter, I actually don't know what my Twitter handle is, which is quite embarrassing. I think it's a, <laughs> I think it's a bit of an embarrassment. My Instagram is Ollie Smith underscore, and Ollie's got two E's in it. Right. It's the most yeah, common well. name in the world, so it's impossible to. <laughs> it's impossible to have it simple. It's always, say, always good about having the last name Smith. But anyway, yeah. all of them will be down in the description anyway, folks, on every platform, so you will be able to find them nice and simple. I'll also put a link down below for uh, Give Blood for Good. Everything will be there. This has been amazing. Folks, this is the end of season two. I've had so much fun. I've actually been, this is now for the, for everybody looking at this is the 25th of July. I started recording this season in early March when I was getting the people in. That's how long it takes to get a season together because I'm just ringing phones and praying that somebody bothers to reply to me. So thank you to the listeners. You make this so much fun. It's actually why I do it because it gives everybody something to do. If I did it and nobody listened to it, I just look like a weirdo in my bedroom. So thank you guys so much for coming in. As usual, all criticism is welcome, constructive criticism. If you're just going to be mean and funny, I've got really thick skin because I come from a rugby background, so I'm just going to take your retweets for fun. So there you go. As usual, like, subscribe, follow Ollie, follow the podcast, do whatever it is you need to do. Tell your mum, your friends, your dog. Go out there, donate blood, make a change. Let's do some good. See you season three. Don't know what it will be, but it will be good and it will be better than ever, as it always is. See you again very, very soon.